What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, welcome back to the Chase Thomas podcast. A rainy, dreary, awful Wednesday night in Atlanta, which has been the case, I think, for six and a half months now. I, I, it hasn't stopped raining in what feels like at least six months, and now it's cold. I mean, the like the cold part's great. I love the cold. I got a new pea coat. Really excited about that. That I can wear every day again. But um, to get away from everything going on with Atlanta uh, grossness weather-wise, uh, Matt Chambers and I are going to talk about some other just really decrepit, horrible things like Kyle Shanahan no longer being the offensive coordinator in Atlanta and Steve Sarkeesian still being the offensive coordinator in Atlanta. Oh wow! So we're 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 going uh, we're going we're going there, huh? We are. Yeah. I, I'm not. I'm not done. Uh, Matt, we have, so we, have we done three podcasts together? I think over three years, I think when was the, I guess, what is this middle of 2018 season? So it was probably the beginning of 2016 is the first one where you, it was entering year two of Kyle Shanahan in Atlanta. You're pretty out on it. You were very adamant. Kyle Shanahan was not the answer. And then, um, let me check my notes here. Uh, yes, they were the best offense in offensive DVOA in the NFL in 2016. Let me um, check my to... notes. Um, zero Super Bowl wins. Right, that right. Um, that irrelevant. Your notes? Uh, irrelevant, <laughs> as you know. Um, I turned it off at 28 to three. So whatever happened after that is, um, it it just doesn't. Well, I can tell you what happened after that. that. Uh, no scoring whatsoever. By uh, Kyle no scoring. No, not not by Kyle. It doesn't sound like Kyle Shanahan. Yeah. I'm okay with it. I still think people, you know, if it had worked and they had blown out the Patriots and they kept going, because I think he is someone, I am a process over results person over and over again. Like if I understand what you're doing and I agree with your philosophy and it's like you live and die by this ideology, I can respect that. I can respect that Kyle Shanahan wanted to step on the Patriots neck and continue just beating them the way he was beating everybody all season long. He, like him going conservative in the second half, it never made sense. It's not in Kyle Shanahan's DNA. He wants to win fifty-six to twelve, and even if it's a Super Bowl, he doesn't care. So uh, I'm still not gonna destroy him for the Super Bowl second half uh, performance. Right. I'll never do. Sure, it. you can be wrong about it. I mean, that's <laughs> allowed to be wrong about everything. So that's true. That's true. Um, but did you see what he did with Nick Mullins a week ago? Uh, yeah, I mean, Nick Mullins obviously wasn't as good, uh, this last week, but, um, I don't know, some random guy named Nick Mullins, if, if I remember right, he didn't even have a Wikipedia page, um, but, uh, he, he put up some nice numbers, but wasn't that against, uh, the Oakland Raiders? Yeah, hey, that's not that, that, that vaunted it's, uh, Oakland Raiders. Really a <laughs> uh-huh. No, I mean... Uh, I just think uh, we need to revisit a little bit more Kyle Shanahan stuff. I mean, he's turned, he's created the best tight end in football, Mr. Kittle. That's him. That's all Kyle Shanahan. He doesn't have a running back. He just has like a seventh round pick who's Matt Breida 
back there, and he averaged, I think he ran for over 100 yards this week. Yeah, you're going to run 100 uh, yards because there's no one else running the football. Like, getting he doesn't Alfred have Jared Lewis, who is conservatively 45 years old. I mean, who I knows? mean, I'm not saying but Kyle Shanahan There's no had, talent, but... and he's still not last. <laughs> the, the Cardinals, the Jets, there are tons of teams who are still worse offensively than Kyle Shanahan's 49ers, and they have, I think you can make the case they have the least amount of talent of any offensive team in football. Um, hmm. If you really go up and down that list, I mean, they're already building an offensive line that I believe in McGlinchey is going to be really good for them. He's good for them early on. Like, I, I mean, they're coming. And we were all buying in as Jimmy Garoppolo's San Francisco 49ers making the playoffs as a wild card potentially this year. I mean, he went undefeated down the stretch with Jimmy last yeah, year. Who could forget last that? Year. How many run. how many games did Garoppolo win this year? It doesn't matter. We, I think that's still to 2017 when you that. have when your starting quarterback is still there. I I think you can look at his wins and losses and they they weren't too impressive. I'm not saying Kyle Shanahan was awful even though I probably said that multiple times. Uh like I mean he's still like a decent I don't know. I mean he's, he's a top 5 head coach already, top, I think. Wait, top head top, excuse me, what? He's top five, top at top seven at worst. Kyle Shanahan, for sure. If you put Kyle Shanahan with the Rams offensive weapons right now, if you take away Sean McVay and you insert Kyle Shanahan into that role, are are they any different? Um, I don't know. I don't know if they would be as good, but I mean, they would definitely still be great. Exactly. Like, I think Sean McVay is great. I also think Kyle Shanahan is great, who has significantly less talent. The Rams have gone all the way in. They are a complete boomer bust team right now. And the 49ers are playing the long game. That's why Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch signed, like, what, seven-year deals together in San Francisco? Um, I, I It's Shanahan. Like, he's a top-seven coach and uh, in the NFL. I mean, the head coach, that's, I mean, clearly yeah, wrong. But... Right there. <laughs> give me give me your six that you would take ahead of Kyle Shanahan right now if we just reordered like who would you trust um to put together because if you look at the uh this is the greatest thing right now uh when you're going through NFL stats and stuff like that that I found um teams that are in the bottom five to six of offensive DVOA worst teams in football a lot of those teams have very good defenses the Buffalo Bills one of the worst teams in football very good defense. Maybe the best cornerback dynamic in the NFL outside of the Bears. Like Tredavious White and company, really good. Really good defenders. Jerry Hughes, really good for them. Guess what? Their offense is a train wreck, so it doesn't matter. Um, the Jets, another great secondary. The great safeties, everything. Doesn't matter. Um, the Cardinals, defense hasn't been terrible. Doesn't matter. Awful team. You go up and down this list of these teams that have um, pretty solid defenses, but just bottom five, bottom seven offenses, and uh, they're not good, and they can't score. So um, I think you already have to give an edge to an offensive-minded head coach anyway because the way this league has gone, if you don't have a competent offensive mind running things, then I think you're at a severe disadvantage. Like You just have to have um, a, a really good offense to succeed. If you look at the top 10 in offensive DVOA right now of all those teams, almost all of them are playoff teams right now. So I don't like there's just a direct correlation. A lot of them ha- even have shitty defenses. It doesn't matter. The Buccaneers are in every game this year and they should not be 
at all. Like they threw for like, what was it? Like 500 yards against the Redskins over the weekend. And they scored like, I think negative five points in uh, the red zone. I think it was negative five. I think you just lose points if you get to the red zone that many times and you um, just have, you accumulate that uh, kind of crazy amount of yardage and not put the ball in the end zone. Um, And by the way, here's another hot take for you, Mr. Chambers. Dirk Cutter, better head coach than uh, Dan Quinn. But, That's um, a terrible take. No, I know. There's, there's no, there is no, there's no basis for that at all. Dirk Cutter is so, bad, and he's probably getting fired. Like he's definitely getting fired. Had, but, we've had Cutter here. Like he, he's, he's completely fine. Like when, yes. um, uh, but you know what he's good at, right? Like you know he can put together a competent offense. He can win with any quarterback, really. Or I shouldn't say win. He can put together a competent offense with any quarterback basically ryan fitzpatrick Jameis winston who knows mike glennon i mean the list goes on and on well, i think yeah i mean he he, he puts together he, he he has a lot of talent i mean i'll i'll admit that but like he's not put together like a consistent offense since ever his red zone offense has just been a disaster since uh i don't basically you know who else a terrible red zone offense just a season ago the Atlanta Falcons. You know who's uh, one of the best teams in the red zone this year? It's going to be the Atlanta Falcons. That's true, and it's been good, and that's why they're uh, they're a more enjoyable team. That's my favorite thing about Sark of year two. He is not Kyle Shanahan. This is a yes, I believe they're like that's number the best nine. part. Not Kyle Shanahan. That's Love not that. that's not true at all. Um, offensive DVOA. I think they're ninth. They were si- or I think they were ninth last year. They're sixth this year. Um, their offense is good enough to be a Super Bowl contender. So Sark is fine. Sark is not my issue, but I will say, and um, this is me being very serious. I'm not going to go hot ticky here. This is my honest analysis. And this is a piece that I've been working on for a while um, that I can't get out of my head where I look at the Falcons like I look at um, the Missouri Tigers in college football. So bear with me, Matt. Kyle Shanahan is the Josh Heupel of college football. In that Josh Heupel put together this great offense at Missouri. He comes in, he um, basically saves Barry Odom's job, who got promoted after um, their head coach uh, Pinkle, Gary Pinkle, had to retire due to cancer and um, just really awful circumstances. So he moved on, and they promoted the DC to the head coach. Missouri's defense is um, a dumpster fire. He's apparently, ostensibly, a defensive-minded guy. The defense theoretically should be good because. He is a defensive-minded guy. That is his bread and butter. Missouri's defense has been terrible. Every year he's been head coach. You know what has been terrible? Drew Locke in their offense because Josh Heupel put Drew Locke on notice last year. Like going into this year, Drew Locke was seen as a potential number one overall pick coming into the year. One, that's because this draft class is awful uh, from a quarterback perspective uh, for 2019. But Josh Heupel goes to UCF. Guess how many games he's lost in year one in UCF with McKenzie Melton? Zero games. Still undefeated. Um, and you look at the guy who followed him, Derek Dooley, who we were like, I, I don't know. I don't know how this works. He just came from Dallas. Like, he hasn't been an offensive coordinator in a while or ever. Um, we'll see, I guess. And he's fine. Like, he's not what Josh Heupel was to this team, but he's good. Missouri's offense, if you watch them week to week, it's good. Drew Locke is fine. This offense is fine. Their defense is still a gigantic problem, so they're a middle-of-the-road team. Dan Quinn is Barry Odom. Barry Odom, like, Dan Quinn, uh, like, 
he's supposed to be a defensive minded guy. He already had his first scapegoat in uh, Smith. Marco Emanuel got promoted. Guess what's really good about this team? Their secondary, Marco Emanuel's bread and butter, is their secondary. Demonte Casey is like their best developmental guy of like the last two years. I mean, Deion Jones is awesome, but um, he's a he was supposed to be awesome. Vic Beasley, guys like that have not worked out. Um, Casey is like one of those where you're like, oh, that works. Ricardo Allen, Keanu Neal. Like you go up and down the list. If Marcus Trufant could catch one interception, that's a huge home run for them. But Dan Quinn, like what is the point of Dan Quinn if the defense is never going to be good? Well, that that question's a little different than uh, I, I think where you were going with some of that. Um, I, I mean, it's I, I, I am kind of on board with, you know, you get that offensive minded head coach. I, I feel like that works a lot better than when you add a, you know, a defensive coordinator in the mix. But, um, you know, I think what I would have said is like, this is basically what I'm saying. This is like the thesis of this. Okay. I would have, after the Super Bowl, fired Dan Quinn. Okay, that would have been insane. I disagree. And given Kyle Shanahan a seven-year contract, which is what the 49ers are going to give, he was looking, he was going to go out the door anyway, and you're like, we'll match it, Kyle. We'll match whatever San Francisco's offering. You get a better quarterback right now, um, better talent, you can win now, and we'll keep, we'll promote Marquand Manuel to D.C. Is this a better team right now if Marquand Manuel stays Gates promoted to D.C., Raheem Moore stays as assistant head coach, and Kyle Shanahan is running the offense by himself, and he is also the head coach. Which is a better version for you? Uh, I'm going with the one with Dan Quinn. So let's look, wait. Okay. Let's, let's think about your hypothetical here. What's the difference? Because Atlanta already has one of the best offenses. Number two offense, maybe? maybe so I, I, I think we're – I feel like we're mixing things that coordinators do and the things that head coaches do. And I think Dan Quinn, one of the, um, I mean, one of the things all his players love about him is like he's he's willing to work with guys all up and down the roster. Like that's why you see something you never saw under Mike Smith that Demonte Casey he would be stuck playing special teams all this year and probably all next year. He'd be one of those guys like we we never see again. And you can look at guys like Grady Jarrett, fifth round pick, who turns into a Pro Bowl player. Uh, I mean, obviously, right. not everyone's work. Like no one. No one in football is batting a thousand here, but yeah, I mean, you, you have a number of players, uh, like you said, Deion Jones, and I know, you, I know, you said that that guy's supposed to be good. No one was expecting Deion Jones to be anywhere near this good. I mean, he was he was picked up, um, he was picked up later in the second round. Like no one was expecting him to change the way people are looking at linebackers now, and that's exactly what he did. Like he seriously changed the that's game. Fair. Like. Um, uh, who who's that Georgia Bulldog linebacker the Bears took? Um, Roquan. Smith. Yeah. So uh, so the thing you would see on every scouting report with him is this guy could be like Deion Jones. Because mm-hmm. uh, when Deion Jones was drafted, he was supposed to be too small to play in the middle, just a just a bad pick at the time, just not a not a good tackler. And Dan Quinn was able to see past that or said, you know what, I I can work with that. And in two years, he yeah. turns him into a Pro Bowl player, and you know, um, a, a lot of these defensive picks like weren't super popular when they were made. But I mean, you can't disagree with like the impact Keanu Neal has had 
on that defense. And uh, oh, I mean, sure. if, if, if you're backing up just a little, I love Devontae Campbell. I think he's like one of the unsung heroes of that defense. I I'm I will go to bat for Campbell every every time. That guy is a ten tackle a game machine. I I, I enjoy Devontae Campbell's work. I feel like he's gotten a raw deal the last couple weeks from Falcons fans. Uh, he's so so I love Devontae Campbell. However, with Deion Jones going down, we were like, man, we really need Campbell to step up. And that has not necessarily happened. Uh, or Duke Riley to not be bad at football. Oh, Duke Riley. You know, sometimes <laughs> I, I, I know sometimes you can just take a just a wild swing and it just end up missing. And man, that was just a wild swing that just went nowhere. I, I don't I don't know. Why didn't they go out and get Manti Teo for the last three weeks? Like once Deion Jones went down, I that's what I was thinking. Of. Like Austin Gale, who's going to be on the podcast later of PFF and I were talking about that, where it's like, why didn't they just go out? He's sitting, but he's not even starting right now. And he was fantastic for the Saints last year. I would have done that. Like th- them going in-house at the linebacker spot once Deion Jones went down was just a colossal mistake and just betting on Duke. And I get that they had to just see what they had there at some point. Like you just have to do this. That's the whole point of drafting somebody like Duke Riley is to uh, for just like insurance purposes. And they found out um, he does not qualify for that. <laughs> No kidding. Is Manti Teo a free agent? No, no, no. He's a backup in New Orleans. So he's not getting starter playing time right now. And he hasn't for several weeks. So well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you unequivocally, uh, New Orleans isn't trading us shit. Okay. So, I mean, I, I mean I'm, not, I'm definitely not going to disagree and say, like, there were, there were definite improvements that uh, Quinn should have done that uh, he refused to do. Like, um... I mean, Eric Reed. Yeah. Well, I mean, hold on. Just to be fair, just to be yeah. fair, Matt. What was your? What has been your favorite Jordan Richards moment of the 2018 Falcon season? Oh my God, that guy can't do anything right. Um, I remember when he when they traded for him, and we went looking through, uh, uh, you know, some Patriots impressions on him. I think it was uh, Pat's pulpit. I think that's the SB Nation, um, right? Patriots thing. They were like, you know, he's not bad on. On special teams, they're like, on defense, he's just a disaster. Yeah. So I was yeah. like, well, hopefully he's not he's not playing. I don't really. He's they're probably just bringing him in for his special teams play. And you know, uh, Keanu Neal went down, and the expectation was we're probably going to bring in somebody else. And they they said, they said no. well, this was after Ricardo Allen went down. Keanu went down first, and then Kazee stepped in. And then, and I yeah. will continue to call him Kazee. I hate Kazee. Kazee is just a badass name, and he will be Demonte Kazee. Actually, uh, I I agree with that. That's a that's a, that's a great point. Well, here's uh, the thing. So they they try putting uh, uh, they try putting Kazee. Yeah, now I'm never gonna say it right again. Uh, they're gonna put, they they tried putting Kazee down at um, or well, they tried moving like Ricardo to strong safety, and they kept. And they put Brian Pole in a a bunch oh, of different oh, spots. Oh, like was, that, there was oh, they moved. They moved Brian Poole to safety, and then right. that pushed uh, that pushed Trufant down to the slot, and it was not egregiously good. bad. Right, that just feels like the Isaiah Oliver spot. Like that's the long term player, maybe Alfred, but not Trufant. He is not a slot cornerback. No, no. There's <laughs> that also didn't make any sense. I was like, if you're moving someone over, you know, move Alfred. But it was like, well, so instead of uh, maybe just adding eric reed who has time and safety he 
definitely had a crazy game. What was that like? Well, to be fair, what's he doing in Carolina? Hold on. Let me check my notes. That's right. He's starting every game. Yeah. So, I mean, he, he's, he hasn't been like a pro bowler in Carolina and he, he's been, good, he did, yeah, but he did have like that. I don't know that weird game with Philly. Like, I don't know. Some of that was just like unacceptable, but like he, he's a really good player, but instead they moved Brian Poole to safety. He was a disaster. True font nickel. That was even worse. Uh, it, it was just like they were hoping their current players wouldn't be exactly how we, they knew they would be. It's it, it's the same as giving Duke Riley a bunch of snaps. Like, we know what's happening. We know it's going to happen. We saw Jordan Richards get – who bowled over Jordan Richards? Like, he went – he was uh, <laughs> he was trying to tackle a running back. He just gets into position. He gets low. <laughs> and this gets just run over. I think it was Saquon Barkley – just probably yeah. like it's like he wasn't even there it's like um it's like a kid pushing over one of those little like inflatable dummy things that has a little like weighted bottom and they just you know they just <laughs> drop to the ground he went down like right. he was gonna make a tackle and just got like thrown out of the way like a like some sort of toy it was just so bad yeah he's um he's not good and it sucks because there's guys like Senat who I like a lot, and he's been fine. Um, Senat's really good. There, Foye Olukan has been fine. Like he, he's had, he's very up and down. But th- based on where they drafted him and him having to switch positions and all that kind of stuff, like he's been, I think, better than expected this early on. I like him. Um, I still like Isaiah Oliver. He had some good. Like he was asked to cover Antonio Brown a lot a couple weeks ago, and he really impressed me. He got burned on one touchdown, but he had a really good pass deflection. Like watching him in coverage, I get why he was a second round pick. I'm pretty high on him, and I think the secondary will continue to be. Um, uh, it will just continue to get better. And I think if they had a healthy Keanu Neal and um, not even a healthy Keanu Neal, just a healthy Ricardo Allen, and they had him and Demonte Casey, who's just so good at finding the ball, like that interception. Um, Last week against Washington, incredible. Like that tip where he just pulled it in inbounds right before it. Like those little things where um, those are huge because he was a what seventh round pick? I want to say was he fifth or seventh? One of the I two. think he was fifth. Um, he also um, as long right. as his stat did not change, he leads the league in interceptions. Which is yeah, he and if you watch him, he's just a guy who knows how to get around the ball. Like he's just like a playmaker where you just love to have guys like that on your team. You know, I've got my fingers crossed next year that they move him to nickel. Because as soon as you have, okay. as soon as you have Ricardo, so where does Brian Poole go? I mean, Brian Poole goes and gets a different job. <laughs> no, I, I do not care what happens to Brian Poole. Brian Poole has been so disappointing this year. I, I don't know if you saw the Pro Football Focus um, uh, scores on our secondary. Okay. I have not. Let, seen let, let me let me pull them up right now because uh, they posted them earlier this morning, and it is. I'm gonna and, guess Casey is the highest graded uh, secondary guy in the Falcon for the Falcons. Right oh, now. Uh, he he must be okay. This is just corners. So Isaiah okay. Oliver, Trufant number one. No, Isaiah Oliver number one. So he's actually see. Okay, I'm right about yeah. Oliver. There no, we go. He, he's I, had I, a it feels like he's been good. He he's really improved. So like you said, he he didn't get burned in. Uh, in Pittsburgh, like you would honestly kind of expect that out of him. Like he, he was a big project um, coming out of Colorado, I want to say. But I mean, e- either way, the last couple of weeks, like he's been very good. Next on your list is Desmond Trufant with a 60.8, a career low. And then right after him, Brian Poole, 60.4, another career low. And then 
man, just way down the list is Robert Alford with a 48.5. Those are uh-huh. so the the PFF grades are kind of weighted to be like um, you know kind of like your grades in school. So this is, is yeah. it looks like everyone's failing. Which makes what is more what's more frustrating about that is if you look at the Saints stuff, it's just as bad. Like Eli Apple has been a dumpster fire in the two, like the three weeks they've had oh, him. Yeah. Marcus Lattimore has taken a huge step back. Like that secondary is atrocious. I think they're like 29th um, in uh, for uh, secondary defensive DVOA for them. Um, the Saints defense is still not good. It just doesn't matter right now. And they're still getting pressure. Cameron Jordan, Sheldon Rankins, um, guys like that. And I mean, Marcus Davenport before he went down has been good. I mean, there were a lot of jokes when they traded a first round pick to move up and take him, but he's been good for them. Um, but without that pass rush and that elite offense, like this team would be in serious trouble. Uh, Dennis Allison, Dennis Allen's defense has not uh, been that much improved uh, for new Orleans. So it's kind of be a little bit more frustrating for Falcons fans, just because this defense, I mean, the secondary has been a little bit of an issue, but the saints are fine. Uh, they're the best team maybe in football. And uh, that secondary is atrocious. Yeah, it it doesn't when you're putting up 51 points like it it just doesn't matter. Right. It does not matter if you're able to just put up 40 50 points and I'm waiting for that offense to crap out basically. I I don't know if that's actually going to happen. I don't think I that's think happening. That's I think they're going to the Super Bowl. Yeah. I hadn't thought about this because I was listening um I think it was uh PFF's uh Sam Monson and uh um the uh, Steve Palazzolo um, earlier today and I hadn't even really considered this until this afternoon but there's a real real chance that the Saints play in the Super Bowl in Atlanta next year oh yeah there's a there's a good chance that uh that- Atlanta's gonna be nuts I think I'm leaving the city that weekend I don't think it's gonna be a safe place that's probably a good idea because there I mean um I've got to cross my fingers and hope that the Rams are able to knock them out because I mean, the Rams could be like, I, I mean, oh, to, just, I'm, I'm, I just do not want to see the Saints in another Super Bowl and definitely not, oh, definitely not in Atlanta. I mean, I'm, I'm still just going to hope it's going to be like Rams, Chiefs. That'd be a super fun game. And I don't know. And then Drew Brees is finally old enough that he's just done throwing. I don't know. I, I don't know. That's a lot of wishful thinking. They're, they're definitely going to be, they're definitely going to be right in on it. I'm conflicted because, I mean, I love Sean Payton. And it's cool. I love Drew Brees, and I love just how good Michael Thomas is. And watching that team, like the the Saints are just really fun to watch. Kamara and that group, and just how efficient they are, and how good Drew Brees is getting the ball super early and often. And I don't know. I like watching elite teams play football. And the Falcons are close offensively. Like you know, it's been nice. Uh, Steve Sarkeesian not calling halfback dives uh, with Tevin Coleman nineteen <laughs> times a game anymore. That's been good. I'm glad he tossed that out of the playbook. And then those jet sweeps to Calvin Ridley that have never gained positive yardage ever. Um, haven't seen those as often, which is nice. But um, not not the week to talk up this Falcons offense after losing to the Browns. No, no. This is actually terrible timing because uh, Steve Sarkeesian has been on a tear since week two. And then they go into Cleveland and it's like they just figured if they could play conservative, they'll keep it close and then just sail on to Dallas next week. And man, what, what a bad week. It, it, it was crazy how much some of these things can change because Sarkisian's been at the top of the league with um, red zone offense, third down conversion. Mm-hmm. Like it's just been, it's been like a, it's almost been like a video game. Just 
how yeah. well they're able to do it, but not. Um, and then you put them in Cleveland, and they get uh, what feels like fifty red zone attempts, and they can't score on any of them. It's uh, it's definitely a bad week for me to come and uh, say, you know, my my Sark take from the summer was actually, <laughs> and um, Sark's fine. I think ultimately, with no matter how much I feel about Kyle Shanahan, Sark's fine. Like this, he's a good enough offensive coordinator. His play calling has improved enough in year two, where um, if they had a little bit more stability on the right hand side of the, of the offensive line, which by the way got destroyed in that Cleveland game, like it turns out, um, not having Fusco and uh, who am I forgetting? Who is the other offensive line? Is out. Um, Levitre. Um, it's a problem. Oh yeah. Imagine where this team would be without Jake Matthews right now. Would they win another football game? This he's year? been having a great year. I, I was I wasn't sure yeah. about paying him because I knew that was going to be expensive. But he he's having the best year of his career right now. He still got blown up for um I don't know at least, at least one sack. I can't I can't remember uh, specifically, but he's been uh, he's probably been he's been solid. He's still angering that line. Him and Alex Mack have kept things together yeah. um, and keeping Matt Ryan upright. But uh, yeah. Um, as long as Sark stays away from those halfback dives, Tevin Coleman, and just let him catch passes um, out of the backfield and line him up and do some more screens and um, get Calvin Ridley deep and stuff like that. That's cool. Keep doing that, but don't do the other two things that he used to do like every game. Like that Pittsburgh game, I just almost threw my laptop out the window. I, I couldn't deal with it anymore. That Tevin Col- that was like one of the worst Tevin Coleman games, but someone's going to pay him and it's, it's going to be weird. But um, Ito Smith is improving. I like him a lot. Yeah, he looks surprisingly good. I, I remember a lot of people were like down on him after the draft. Um, I, I, honestly, I don't remember why, but like he he had some just like crazy uh, like missed tackle numbers in college. He's really good after contact. Yeah, yeah. He's the exact opposite of Tevin Coleman. Yeah, he Tevin is. I don't know. Tevin's is kind of a weird guy. I don't. I don't know exactly how I would describe him as a running back. Uh, He's not a running back. That's the thing is he should be used strictly as how Washington uses Chris Thompson. Like when he goes in the game, sorry, sir, we're motioning you outside. Like you are not allowed in the backfield, sir. Yeah. Well, well which, which would be fair. I mean, he's just not, he, he's, he's just not going to break tackles. It's never happened before, but he's got amazing speed. Like when he broke that off, was it, it was the Washington game, right? Where he had that big yards after catch game where he was just eating people up because he's just fast. And when he gets open space, he's really hard to catch. Him and Calvin Ridley, when they get some space, um, they're pretty dangerous, it turns out. Yeah, I, I think it's actually it's been tough for Sark to be without Freeman. I don't know how good Freeman was actually going to be this season, but um, his uh, I, I think they call it like a success metric. So like when you're, uh, I don't remember the exact word for it, but uh, basically Tevin Coleman has one of the worst success metrics on running the ball he's gonna, <laughs> that does not surprise me yeah so i mean he's gonna get like you know he'll have you can look back and be like oh well he, you know he had 70 rushing yards like not too bad he's probably has like 45 of those on one run and then he's yes. got like 12 other ones for where he fell down after one yeah yard. for like two yards of carry just not not going anywhere so I, I i know it's been harder to kind of establish drives with Tevin Coleman is your top running back. Mm-hmm. You know, Smith has been pretty good, but I mean, no, you know, none of them are like Devontae Freeman in 2016 because he was just, mm-hmm. man, he was a wrecking. Oh, ball. man. 
just like the I, I still love man just thinking about like his vision like he has this awesome patience behind the line and he knows exactly where to go and i mean like say kind of nick chubb like like watching cleveland on sunday it kind of reminded me of Devonte a little yeah bit. so like if you have nick chubb's, chubb's really it, good at cutting and reading and being very careful with his whole selection and just bouncing through but once he gets out he's he's just sneaky fast and he can do those little things and he's hard to find when he's weaving in between the tackles and the guards yeah i think there is some uh parallels like i don't know if he's like eddie george which is what i've heard um in the last week about nick chubb that he's um eddie george reincarnated but um yeah, well, here's what I would say. If I, if I had a guy like a Devontae Freeman or a Nick Chubb and I had, I don't know, say like a 25-point lead in a really important game, I would be okay. running the hell out of the ball because those guys mm. are going to – they're going to run time off the clock and then – you know, but what if you could score more touchdowns and you keep being aggressive and Julio um, gets open and busts some more um, bad Patriots defense coverage and they continue blowing them out where it's insurmountable and they don't have to worry about running the clock out? I mean, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a nice theory. Um, I would do I would go with what works. OK, it, it didn't work. But if I had to guess and Kyle Shanahan is like my number one long term choice to get on this podcast i would ask him that question of like is that how you were thinking of just like we just wanted to continue blowing them out and ensure that the game was out of reach i think he wanted it that to be, be my guess. the kyle shanahan show we were gonna get done with the super bowl and they'd be like be like everyone else would have ran the ball you know what i said we need a good five-step drop right now okay hey you know what it, he i just i think it's kind of insane to ever get mad at someone who put together um your franchise so matt ryan's 2016 season is the best season uh, for any falcons quarterback ever right uh well actually he's statistically he's pretty close this year he is pretty uh, not, close not but it doesn't feel the, like it right it doesn't feel like 2016 well it doesn't feel like 2016 because this defense is just giving up 35 points to the other team and uh, we're not on a tear like that. Like right now, we're like, uh, maybe we'll make the playoffs. I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a little. I don't think they're making the playoffs. I think we can cross them off. I think the Browns game was it. And also, it doesn't matter. The NFC is stacked. Like the Falcons make the playoffs. It's not like last year where I really do think they could have gone to Super Bowl last year. They had a real shot, and they should have beat the Eagles. They should have beat the Eagles. I was more annoyed about that than the Patriots game. I mean, that's another bad opinion. But no, I. I, I... that perfect here's that perfect interception just lined up and it bounces off of his knee and is then caught and ran i I think that was on like third down too so even if like it just hits the ground atlanta gets the ball back then an eagles player catches it and goes how is how does that happen i don't the the falcons are going to get bounced out of you know, like if they make the playoffs and they have to play like on the road against, I don't know, Chicago or um, Philly, they're getting bounced. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily say them. I think they probably get bounced out by the Rams. I, I want no part of that. Uh, the most Falcons thing would be to bounce, be bounced out by the Saints. Well, I think the Saints, that can't happen because the Saints are going to get a yeah, buy. So, yeah, they should get a buy. Uh yeah, I mean, the Saints and the Rams will not be in there. I think those two will get the top two seeds, and then it'll be down to, like, maybe the Vikings, if they have to, if they win the division. Um, they're definitely not beating the Vikings. They're not beating the Packers in Green Bay. 
Um, I mean, Packers are... I don't think they beat the Chicago. I don't think they could stop Chicago enough. Like, I think Chicago's offense is operating just on a different level right now. And I, that secondary is legit. That their pass rush with Khalil Mack and uh, Akeem Hicks is legit. I, I don't think that's a good matchup for the Falcons at all, especially on the road. Yeah, I mean, definitely not. But I, I wouldn't I wouldn't mark the basically with, with a good offense and a non-existent defense. I wouldn't mark Atlanta out on any game, but I would probably not bet. Yeah. I would mark them out on every game except for Washington. They would beat the Redskins on the road in uh, a playoff game in round one. Yeah, I mean, that's that's true. I think they would. Did you see that stat that Washington hasn't had a lead change all season yet? <laughs> yeah. They're six and three and have no lead changes at all. Yeah. The, they the, get out the Grudens don't appear to be the best coaching tree out there. No. I mean, but that's like that staff in Washington is at least stacked. Like you have Bill Callahan running the offensive line. You have um, Jim Tom Sula running that defensive line. You have um, Greg Mineski as the DC. Like they have a lot of a lot of good names. They have talent. They just got ravaged by injuries. Like that is a team that has been absolutely decimated by injuries. Like top three in the NFL with injuries. Like the Falcons have had problems, but like the Redskins were down to like four linemen in that game a couple weeks ago. Like they are surviving with nothing. So I'm not going to jump on Jay Gruden. He's fine. He's, I mean, is he a better head coach than Dan Quinn? I would say so. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's just another bad take. It's just a full podcast. Of- <laughs> I know. I just, I don't know what Dan Quinn's good at. Tell me what Dan Quinn's Dan, good at. That's what I want to know. Dan Quinn is good at motivating his players. Like there's okay. a, so, I mean, what, what I was going to say is there's there's a little bit of a difference between someone running like all the X's and O's and then someone who gets their team on the same page, minus that Browns game, of course. That's kind of a, that's another uh, black eye on Dan Quinn's coaching. To be fair, who saw the wishbone coming in that game? I don't think anyone <laughs> was prepared for the wishbone to make an appearance in uh, the NFL. On there's... Sunday. I, 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 don't, I don't know what to say about the Browns. It was, uh, but I, I mean, I, I think a lot of what you do is, you know, you, you create this, uh, this team mentality, you know, a, a lot of players want to come. I think he calls it a brotherhood. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, you do the, you do the brotherhood. I mean, Atlanta did, you know, they, they were able to get over that Super Bowl loss and make the playoffs again, like the very next year. Like that's, I think that's far from, that's far from given for, any sort of head coach. So even while that's a good point, that's fair. I'll allow even it. while you would say like, you know, the defense is bad, which is undoubtedly accurate. Um, I mean, he, he has helped develop a lot of, a lot of the younger players. And I mean, something you, you do see sometimes with, uh, uh, you know, may, may, maybe someone like Quinn, I, I don't know if I fully thought this theory out, but what they will do is since they're so confident in their ability to coach someone up, they'll use a lot of their resources on the other side of the ball. So like if you look at Atlanta's cap right now, they are highly, highly, highly paying the offensive players much, much more. So instead of, uh, instead of bringing in a bunch of expensive veterans, Dan Quinn has drafted a bunch of them. They've got, that's why they have a young defense right now. And they're still scarred from the Tyson Jackson era of overpaying oh. defensive guys. And who was the other one? Who were some of the other defensive linemen they overpaid recently? What was the dude? The defensive. You have Ray Edwards. Ray Edwards. That's who it is. Which, yes. 
Which I mean, no one, no one saw that fully. It's like mm-hmm. there, there was some concern about like his motivation, where you're like, I, I don't, I don't fully know about this, but I mean, you get a guy who had, you know, ten plus sacks a year, and you put him next to John Abraham and Glenn Dorsey. Oh uh, no, no, no! We, they never had Glenn Dorsey. I thought they did. No, no, no. Um, I could have sworn they had Glenn Dorsey. No, they didn't, because the the jokes have been great because Atlanta passed on Dorsey for. Maybe that's what it was. They did pass. I thought he ended up back in Atlanta for whatever reason. Who was the old mess? Uh, the old miss guy, but he was, I think. Oh, uh, per uh, Pariah Jerry. He he was yeah. the guy who retired on a hard knocks, and uh, oh my I think God. he retired to go sell weed because he was arrested for selling weed. What? Yes. All right, I'm gonna have to block this out of the podcast. A lot of allegedly there. Who knows? Well, I mean, it's not alleged that he was arrested for selling weed. Uh, he was definitely okay, so we, we're arrested sure for selling weed. Okay. So, uh, so oh, oh, potentially he was he retired to go, uh, you know, look at other career options, and based on his arrest report, his are we sure options. he would be worse than Mr. Crawford in 2018 at DT? Oh wait, sorry, who? Uh, Je- Mr. Crawford. Oh, uh, Jack Crawford. He's yes. good. He's fine. He's actually really good. He's been. Um, when he started in for uh, for Grady, he's actually had like a yeah. couple like really great games, like like a, just very good, very underrated signing. And you know maybe that's uh, one of those things that Dan Quinn can do is take uh, you know take the Adrian Claiborns and the Jack. I miss Adrian Claiborne. I really enjoyed his work. Yeah, he's uh, he he's definitely missing because right now Vic Beasley is one of the worst players in football. It turns out letting Adrian Claiborne go and keeping Vic Beasley, not the best thing. Uh, yeah. It, and I mean, with that, and then you have, uh, you have Tack, I guess, still adjusting. Like, I, Tack's fine. I'm not worried about Tack yet. He's he's not a bust. And he's also not uh, Duke Riley or Vic Beasley. Yeah, no. That's... He's better than both of them. Yeah. He still has higher upside. Like, I'm, I'm not, he's done some stuff. He's had a rough couple of weeks. He's not been healthy. Um, I'm not really worried about Tack. I think he's fine. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I, I wasn't saying like be worried about him, but you know, last couple of weeks, Atlanta could have definitely used him, and he has not necessarily been there. Yeah. Well, I don't think anybody was there in Cleveland because I think uh, Baker Mayfield just had another completion as we we're recording this podcast. Man, he thirteen for thirteen. He is good. That's... I love. Oh, that. I'm so glad about you're that. <laughs> Baker Mayfield is really, really good. Yes, and the Falcons did everything they could to make Sunday as easy as humanly possible for him. Both things can be true, that he was in the perfect situation um, at home against that uh, Falcons defense this week. But uh, yeah, Um, last thing and then we'll go. Uh, Bruce Irvin, he is the difference maker, right? Like Falcons going back to the playoffs. Bruce Irvin in the rotation. Mr. Shelby, Vic Beasley, um, as are like Tack McKinley. It's time, man. That pass rush. It's finally coming. Um, I, I, you know, I mean, I think Bruce Servin's a good addition. Um, I didn't particularly notice him on Sunday, but I mean, he is switching over here for the first time. Um, I mean, I, my, my hope, I mean, pre-Cleveland game was you keep it together just long enough for Deion Jones to get back. Uh, the addition of Bruce Irvin would help down the stretch. Uh, it's definitely a lot harder to make the playoffs now. So I don't I don't really know what to 
They're not making the playoffs. Let's end this. It's not happening. The NFC's too stacked. There's too many roadblocks. It's not their schedule is not great. It's it's over. Let's go ahead and move on. The Falcons are going six and ten. Done deal. Yeah, maybe. Seven and nine, best case. Eight and eight, I think they that this season's a huge one if they can survive and get to eight and eight. But um I don't think they're a playoff team no matter what. Which should make for an interesting offseason for them if they miss the playoffs this year. Which I think they will. Um, but yeah, Matt, this has been great. I'm glad we're able to connect again and talk about our favorite, uh, rivalry pastime, whatever you'd like to coin it, uh, Shanahan versus Sark, a rivalry that we'll be talking about for generations. Our grandkids will ask questions. What was it like watching Kyle Shanahan, um, orchestrate your favorite team's offense for a couple seasons? And you and I will be able to just talk about the brilliance of it. Yeah, I, I accept your apology on Sarkisian. I will say, I will apologize that Sark has not been a dumpster fire. I will admit I was wrong, kind of. <laughs> that is how I'll say it, kind of. Because until he gets to number one, the Falcons made the wrong choice. And uh, keeping Dan Quinn and not uh, just promoting Kyle Shanahan, giving him the seven-year contract that uh, every Atlanta fan will If this was my podcast, I would edit out, as soon as you <laughs> said kind of, I would edit out the rest, and then I, I'd just be, you'd just be rolling credits by then. Right. Wrap up the podcast. Well, um, this is my podcast, Matt. Yeah. As, oh. as you know. Podcast. Know. Um, but anyway, we can find you on Twitter at Matt, where you are one of my favorite follows because you're a funny guy and I enjoy um our conversations and reading you on twitter so do that um go to the falcoholic.com the best atlanta falcons website on the internet matt we will talk in soon sir thank you everyone watch out for uh sarkisian he's just on his way up all right we're back on the chasing's podcast we are now joined after a couple weeks away. Austin Gale, he's big time. He's flying all over the country, doing all kinds of scouting for everybody, trying to help John Gruden find some uh, offensive lineman that can help Derek Carr no longer see ghosts coming off the edge. He's doing what he can for his Oakland Raiders and John Gruden um, specifically and uh, finding a way to not have Colton Miller as his uh, offensive tackle of the future. But PFF's Austin Gale is back tonight. Austin, good evening. How are you? Doing great, man. Thanks for having me on. Oh, the Derek Carr stuff is it's awful. It's not in my notes I want to talk about, but listening to the PFF guys today talk about him, um, Sam and uh, uh, why am I blinking? And Steve, or uh, just it, it, they just both feel sad about it. Ever since the ankle injury, he just hasn't been the same. And obviously, this season has just been an absolute nightmare, but it is kind of eerie that he's kind of going down the same road that his older brother went down in Houston, where he had such a bad offensive line that he kind of imploded and never recovered because he just, when you have a bad offensive line for for a young quarterback for a long period of time, um, it weighs on them and it can change the entire trajectory of their career, right? Absolutely. And I think Derek Carr is a perfect example of that right now. It, you know, I read the numbers recently looking at since, you know, dating back to last season, these last two years, is in the bottom five among qualifying quarterbacks, pass rating under pressure. Names among that bottom five, Trevor Simeon, C.J. Bethard, Deshaun Kaiser, and Brett Hundley, and Derek Carr. Three of those, four of those guys don't start. One does, and he makes 25 mil. 
being bad under pressure is can be an Achilles heel for any quarterback. And he has really been one of the worst, if not the worst quarterbacks under pressure in these last few years, ever since, you know, he had the, the broken ankle injury. And I think that injury cost him, you know, getting the back injury last year did not help anything moving, you know, new offensive coordinator going from 2016, to 2017, new offensive coordinator going from 2017 to 2018. All of those come into play. Offensive line isn't playing as well. So the fact of the matter is, playing well under pressure is, is all mental. I mean, yes, you know, if you're a scrambling quarterback, that can be that can be good. That can help you out in terms of getting getting out of a, a damaged pocket. But being able to throw and take hits, you know, stand in the pocket like you know the commentators always you know touch on, stand in the pocket, take a hit, throw the ball downfield. It's something that we really haven't seen from Derek Carr since his MVP caliber campaign was cut short due to injury. And I just don't know from a mental standpoint if he's going to be able to bounce back. I don't either, man, but I've got a bad feeling. I don't think he can bounce back if he stays in Oakland. He's got to get a change of scenery this offseason. A change of scenery, I think, is would definitely help him. I think there is just way too much bad blood there, and I think if he got into a situation where the offensive line was there, coach had clear-cut confidence in him, players had confidence in him, I think he could he could rebound. However, I still think even with the change of scenery, it's going to be a very you know an uphill battle to get him to be the player that he was. I think he does have all the tools. I think in 2016, we saw him have one of the prettiest deep balls in the game. A very good touch on the ball, hitting Amari Cooper and Michael Crabtree in stride all season long for long touchdowns. And I still think that Derek Carr is in there. I think the good decision-making, you know, good deep throwing Derek Carr is still there. I just think mentally he has struggled under pressure and it has allowed him to add on to the pressures of not winning games and not being the same guy, the media, all that stuff, all that accumulating pressure has really broken him Add in the injuries and it just doesn't help. The giants make the most sense to me. I, I don't like the idea of the giants taking like true lock or anyone in this next quarterback class. I think they missed their shot to get a quarterback in the next uh, year or two, just with this draft when they passed on Darnold and everybody else for uh, Saquon Barkley. And you just look at this talent around them, like with Barkley, OBJ, Sterling Shepard, Ingram just up and down the line the offensive line is obviously shaky it's not as bad as what was last year but um I don't know I feel like that is the most realistic landing spot for him because it's not like there's a bunch of QB openings right now around the league I just know that this dude's got to get out of there and uh, maybe it's just as simple as like a a trade to Tampa uh, because Tampa and Oakland with John Gruden are forever linked and it does feel like Jameis Winston <laughs> is inevitably going to be the next starting quarterback in Oakland so that just switch let's do that let's just send Derek Carr to Tampa Bay and uh, send Jameis to Oakland and Las Vegas, where he was meant to uh, be the the veteran quarterback that John Gruden craves um, in Oakland to Las Vegas for years to come. Let's that, do it. That sounds like a recipe for disaster <laughs> in terms of mm-hmm. putting Jameis Winston in Oakland or you know in Las Vegas. I don't think that's the right move. But I think in terms of looking at landing spots for Derek Carr, if they were to pull a trigger on a trade. New York is the obvious landing spot. I think a lot of people have talked about that as a possibility. I think there aren't a lot, you know, quarterback, you know, Steve, Sam and I, and other guys in the office talk about, is there a franchise quarterback in this class? We do think that, you know, one's going to get drafted in the first round. Even if Herbert doesn't, you know, chooses not to come out. I think there are other guys Mm -hmm. that are going to be drafted in the first round just because it is a quarterback needy league and value is going to get pushed up to force guys off the board. But there's not a lot of guys like there were last year in terms of just surefire franchise guys that you want to draft in the top 10 and feel good about. And I think with that being said, 
New York can't afford to go in the next season with Eli Manning under center with all the young pieces they have. They can compete in an NFC East that has been as wide open as ever, especially you know with the Redskins being up and down, Philly being up and down. You never know what Dallas is going to do, especially if they stick to Dak. They can compete in that division if they get a capable signal caller that can be accurate with the football. And then you put in Derek Carr as a short, and maybe a long-term solution if he can find his way to bounce back, but nevertheless a short-term solution while maybe you draft a guy in 20 and 2019 draft and maybe you take it, you know, or you take another guy in 2020 and start to find that long-term solution if Derek Carr doesn't pan out. Because I think right now in the offseason for the right, you know, right, um, right stuff to send to Oakland's way. I think John Gruden would pull the trigger on a trade to New York. And I think it makes a ton of sense for New York. Okay. Well, I'm glad we're on the same page there. Um, you mentioned Philly who has been very mercurial this year. Um, they're a team that it's hard to figure out, but as PFF has noted and anyone who's been keeping up with this team, uh, they now have, I believe, negative four secondary pieces at the moment. And that's a problem <laughs> in today's NFL to have no depth in their secondary anymore. Um, obviously, they've still been injured on their pass rush with Barnett and guys like that. And Brandon Graham needs to get a couple more sacks for Steve um, to not have to buy Sam Monson lunch. We know that. Um, but it does feel like that we just keep waiting for Philly to break out. Like Carson Wentz has not been bad. And I want to ask about him in particular, but they just traded for golden Tate. And I think that will take a couple of weeks to get acclimated and we'll see how that works. But they, they ultimately decided on adding more playmakers on the outside versus adding another running back to fill in for an injured Jay Ajayi, which we talked about, I believe a few weeks ago, the fact that they had guys in the roster right now and Smallwood and Clement and guys like that, where they didn't necessarily need to do that. Um, and just go after Le'Veon Bell or whoever. But um, what do you make with Philly? What is wrong with him, if anything? Well, you look at, you know, first thing I look at with Philly is their losses. And all of them have been close. All of them, I think, have been within one possession, if not just above it. And I think that, you know, you look at that inconsistency, winning some, losing some, losing to good teams and, and, and tough, you know, tough battles. I think that's something I wanted to look at. And you, look, you try and find some consistency. Offensively, this is still a very good offense. The offensive line is one of the best in football. Carson Wentz isn't playing like he was last year, but still a well above average starter right now. I think they have good pieces in Alshon Jeffrey. Now you have Golden Tate. Zach Ertz is arguably the best tight in the NFL right now. I think you know uh, Travis Kelsey and George Kittle even are making you know making names for that. But Zach Ertz, the amount of volume. The targets he gets and with the way he's able to produce is insane. I don't think problems on the offensive side of the ball, and I'm fine with the combination of Clement and Smallwood and maybe a little, even a little Josh Adams running the football. I don't think that's the issue. The consistently bad things is on that defense, and you mentioned that coverage. I think that they still have the best pass rushing unit in the NFL. Michael Bennett is having a hell of a season. Fletcher Cox is still Fletcher Cox. But on that back mm-hmm. end, including linebacker, they struggle in coverage. You know, Russell Douglas is getting beat like a drum, and, and now you lose, you lose Darby. That's huge. That is so huge. He was arguably, maybe not even arguably, their best coverage cornerback right now, and he's gone. And, and now you look at that secondary decimated by injuries after already being very, you know, very bad to start this season. That's the issue right now. And I think if you're, if other teams are going to be able to pick on that secondary with double moves, put points on the board, it's always going to be hard for this team to really, you know, come out and be that breakout team. I think that that coverage weakness is so glaring that it's costing them those close games. What element does Golden Tate add to this offense that they did not have previously? A oh, big playability. I, I think he's not, he's not a guy that really has stretched the field now. I think entering 
30 years old, Devontae's 30 years old, but I think he adds that yards after catchability, throw, you know, throwing on quick slants, quick outs, you know, crossing routes, and he could turn short, you know, we call them zero throws, expected throws, and turn them into, you know, 2.0 plays in terms of breaking a few tackles. Anyway, no wide receiver in the NFL since Golden Tate has entered the league has forced more of his tackles than Golden Tate, and Golden Tate and the yards after catchability is the best in the NFL, even at the age he is now, even, you know, after playing all these years, and I think he adds that special ability to turn in turn a screen that maybe is dead in the water at the start into you know a 60 yard touchdown i think that kind of big playability when you lose a jhi is huge for an offense and it's going to need some big plays here pretty soon so carson Wentz, though you you mentioned like he's been playing above average like is there anything you're seeing with him week to week that you're like okay maybe this is something concerning or is should he should he take any of the blame for the eagles being one game under 500 right now I don't think any of the blame should be shifted in his direction. I think he has made poor decisions this year. His, his turnover where he plays are slightly up in terms from a percentage standpoint. His play under pressure mm-hmm. isn't the same it was a year ago. But if you look at last year, he was playing with reckless abandon, scrambling out of the pocket and, and avoiding, you know, avoiding pressures, avoiding sacks, keeping his eyes outfield and rifling it in the back of the end zone. Those are the highlights last year. I'll tell you what, those highlights, regardless of how good you are, aren't sustainable. Even Patrick Mahomes level, it's not sustainable. You have to be able to five steps, seven step drop back, hit your guy accurately on an open throw, and that consistently drive to drive, play to play, be that quarterback. The special Fran Tarkenton esque quarterback play isn't going to cut it, you know, year to year. Maybe maybe game to game and a spectacular season, but you have to be good when the play doesn't break down. You have to be good, you know, inside the structure all the time. Outside of structure obviously is good and you need that as well, but inside of structure to be accurate with the football, make good decisions, and convert on drives in the end zone. Yeah. I um I don't know. I can't like count them out of this division. I mean, I heard Wesling on NFL, uh, the Around the NFL podcast, talk about this. His pick to win the division was the Cowboys now, and I just like almost fell out of my chair. I was like, I, they had a great week. I mean, this defense is legit. We've talked about that with Byron Jones and our guy, Leighton Banderesh. And, you know, like that defense is real. I mean, they just lost Sean Lee, but they're they're just deep now with Jalen Smith coming on um, with that group. So they're fine defensively. And Dak had a better game, obviously, in the the big win over the Eagles. But I'm just I'm still not a believer. And like we talk about Mercurial Philadelphia. I mean, maybe the most Mercurial team right now is the Dallas Cowboys based on just what they did against Tennessee on Monday Night Football the week prior and then to do what they did against Philly, it's just I to think that you have a read on this team or that they are someone that you would bet on winning the division at this point seems kind of crazy to me. I feel like it's still a Philly putting it together um, kind of deal and getting healthy on the back end uh, away from really being the favorites in the NFC East. But also, like, the Redskins just have so much ground and like that great stat of no lead changes in Washington football games this year is still just unbelievable. And the best thing ever, but they're six and three and Austin, you know what I'm about to say about our guy, <laughs> I Alex know. Smith. What does he do? He, he just wins regular season, season games. He's <laughs> winning 10 games this year. Washington's winning this division, unfortunately, because they're going to get blown out by Carolina in the wild card game. Like that's happening. But this team they're just gonna win enough and credit to them they have like two offensive linemen left and they're surviving they revived adrian peterson it seems like they um josh doxon still fun and i'm glad that he's finally putting it together this year but yeah i just i don't think washington's gonna fumble this it's too much uh for alex smith 
to give up because that's not what Alex Smith will allow in DC this year. But uh, I just feel like it's either the Eagles or the Redskins. Am I crazy for just discounting the Cowboys altogether? I think you are crazy to discount the Cowboys only okay. because of how volatile this division is. I think the only two you can really count out are the Giants, and that's obvious. But all of these teams both have pieces that can thrive and put together two, three, four weeks, sol- you know, solid spans of games. And they also have those pieces that could turn them into dumpster fires and they lose four straight. All three teams mm-hmm. could really, could really fall on that. If they, these injuries, you know, Darby injury affects Philadelphia as hard as it could, you could see them sputter into a, a very bad stretch of games. If Washington and Alex Smith get, go, you know, go down in the first quarter, you obviously, you're going to be, they're going to lose that game. They haven't had lead change all year. So I just, they're, they're definitely, not guaranteed to win this one, even though they do have the lead. And then you look at Dallas, I think that defense alone, and if you can get a good Dak, if you can get good Dak for, I don't know, 12 more quarters this season, I still think they have a chance to win this one because I think that defense is always going to be able to keep games close. And I, it's really going to come down to like week 15 through 17 that really decides this division. I, I think we're getting close to that, but these next few weeks are going to tell a lot in terms of who, you know, how many games back those uh, everyone's going to be. And I think, you got to look at week 17, who's playing who, what's that division matchup. And I think the winner of that game could even go to the playoffs. And, you know, the broader thing here is that uh, it really doesn't matter because none of these three teams are winning the Super Bowl and beating the Rams, the Saints, or, any, or the Vikings even, or the Bears. Like, they're just not there. No, not at all. I, I don't think any of the NFC So it's like, congratulations on winning the NFC East, but... Uh, <laughs> Unfortunately, you've got an NFC playoff buzzsaw ahead of you. So, congratulations on that. The winner of the NFC East is winning ten games at most. I could easily see this as yeah. be a division where a nine and seventeen sneaks in, just because of how close everyone is and how up and down everyone everyone in that division is. I think I don't think there's a single team that you can be confident winning out. There's not a single team you can be confident they're only going to lose two more games. They, you know, there's no mm-hmm. confidence in any team, top to bottom, in that division. It's almost worth it just to look at other, no, look elsewhere in the NFC and start thinking Super Bowl with the Vikings. New Orleans Saints is a really easy favorite. Rams, obviously, I think it's easier to look at other teams that are actually going to go the distance rather than even focusing on this NFC East. Yeah, and uh, the people who are like, "Oh well, the Saints," I mean, they'd still have to go on the road, maybe, and like the Rams could still win the. Like, guess what? The Saints are undefeated on the road this year. Their one loss came at home against Tampa Bay and Ryan. Like, I'm not worried about the Saints. Yeah. I, I think the Saints are fine. I think they're the best team in football right now, um, which is kind of crazy because we're going to talk about them next. I have a question. This secondary, it sucks. Austin, it turns out Eli Apple, not a difference maker in 2018. And that trade uh, did not uh, really help that 29th defensive ranking, defensive back ranking per football outsiders. Um, they're just getting roasted. Marcus Lattimore, I, cause has anyone found out what's going on there? Why did he go from defensive rookie of the year to, uh, just not a good cornerback in 2018? It's hard to say. I still, I think the sample size is big enough to say he's definitely having a down year. And you see that with cornerbacks that are ball hawks and take risks. You look at Marcus Peters, Marcus Peters has allowed a perfect pass rating when targeted 10 plus yards down the field. We've never seen that from oh, a quarterback man. for week 10 in the history of PFF. That dates back to 2006. He's a corner that was an all-pro, a pro bowler, a guy that we, everyone knew and loved, and all, all Kansas City Chiefs fans hated when he was traded away, and he's turned into this guy that's allowing way too much, taking way too, too many risks, and giving up big plays. And I think you see that with Marshawn Lattimore this year. I think he's the guy that rode in his high horse and got hit in the mouth a little bit, but went against some, against some good, good receivers, and is starting to kind of fall back down to earth. I think an expected fall 
given how great he was last year as a rookie at a position that is so hard to be good at when you're coming at from college to the NFL, the speed of the game is so much faster as a cornerback going from the collegiate level to the NFL. And the fact that he played so well, I think it's almost expected to see this level of regression. I do think, however, he is going to be able to bounce back and even have a good stretch to the end of the season and into the playoffs that, you know, no one sees coming. What are the Saints' weaknesses outside of their secondary? The pass rush, you know, outside of Cameron Jordan and Marcus Davenport has flashed. I still don't love. Mm-hmm. I, I Sheldon Rankins, I wrote about him recently. He's having a career year right now, and no one's talking about it mm-hmm. because of how deep defensive interior is in the NFL right now. Keith Hicks is having a career year. Come on, Harrison's having a career year. Eric Donald is having a career Geno Atkins. It go, the list goes on and on. He kind of falls under the radar, even below guys like Brady Jarrett and you know, uh, Mike Daniels, Kenny Clark, all these talented you know, interior defenders. But he's having a career year as well. He's finally putting it together after being one of the highest-graded college players we saw coming out of Louisville a few years ago. But that weakness is still there. They're still not getting a lot of pressure on the QB. And when you have a bad secondary, that doesn't help either. I think if they can apply more pressure, Cameron Jordan needs to you know, really carry that load. I think this team can get a lot better, and that secondary, in turn, will also play a lot better. So the receivers, you're not really worried about it just being Michael Thomas and friends. No, not at all. Michael Thomas is an absolute okay. monster. I think he's going he's more than capable of leading this team, especially with Drew Brees. Drew Brees makes every receiver look yeah. good. I think Traquan Smith is only having you know an up a, a flashing because of Drew Brees. I think Drew Brees is that quarterback, the few quarterbacks in the NFL, that handful where he can make any receiver look really good. Look what happened to Willie Steed. Willie Steed in Baltimore yeah. looks like the undrafted free agent that he was in, in New Orleans. <laughs> Marcus like Colton, the, next of well the best example. Yeah. <laughs> I think. Drew Brees can play with anyone. I think when you give him a guy like Michael Thomas, he, he becomes the best quarterback in the NFL, like he is now. When Marcus Colston was in his prime, he was one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL then. I think when he has that true number one, and then you factor in Mark Ingram, Alvin Kamara, Benjamin Watson has revitalized his career with Drew Brees under center. I think he makes other players better, and just having a, a phenom like Michael Thomas, it, it's only going to make things good. I think the biggest thing with the Saints that people have to look at with this group that's really helping having an older quarterback like Drew Brees is how good their offensive tackles have been this year. Like that first round pick with Ryan Ramzik and having a healthy Taron Armstead, just a difference making kind of deal for them to have that health um, at the tackle spots, right? Oh, absolutely. I think the Rams are the only team really with a better tackle tandem and Rob Havenstein and Andrew Whitworth, the veteran Andrew Whitworth. Mm-hmm. And now you see those. It turns out be- those are the two best teams in football. Who would have ever thought that having elite offensive tackles would be a huge thing? Who elite offensive seen that line. Coming? You have a high end yeah. offensive line. Even look at the interior of the Rams. Austin Blythe out of nowhere is having a career year. Uh, Roger Saffold still playing well for them. And you go to New Orleans, you got Unger, who's playing good. Andres Pete going from tackle at Stanford to guard in the NFL is having a above average year. He still has down play. He still hasn't lived up to that first round hype, but he's still playing well but you look at you know go back to the weaknesses Teron Armstead you know I saw a tweet earlier today that he could be out for a few weeks putting you know Ooh. putting putting Bushrod in there is a, is a clear downgrade from an from yeah. the outstanding Teron Armstead to Bushrod and I think that could be a problem I think Drew Brees' quick release is still what you know one of the best in the NFL and one of the fastest in the NFL so it's not going to be a bigger problem as it would be for other teams but it's still not not going to help them in any way. I think the run game is going to suffer. I think they're going to have to put, push pass push passes out of uh, Drew Brees' hands this faster with Bushrod there. I think that is something to look at, and his, the the severity of his injury could really cost them down the stretch. 
Yeah, you want to get him healthy going into the playoffs. I, I do think it's interesting. Have you noticed anything? You talked about Rankins and guys like that. They're the third best rush defense in the NFL, and I think they're the 35,000th uh, pass defense in <laughs> the NFL right now. I think it's 36,000. But it is interesting. <laughs> yeah, it, it is interesting that they have a really good run defense and just an absolute dumpster fire in the back end. Yeah, tip your cap to Sheldon Rankins. He's playing well. And also Demario Davis. The dude's having a career yeah. here. He's one of the best run stuff in line. I think he might be even the highest graded run defender at the linebacker position. They found a way to make Alex Anzalone good. AJ Klein is also playing well for them somehow. They pushed Mante Teo, like we talked earlier in the season. Yeah. Pushed Mante Teo totally have been the out. Falcons been a linebacker while Deion Jones was out, but it just didn't happen. Just yeah. Didn't happen. Well, turns out Duke Riley in that spot, not great. Oh, not at all. <laughs> Yeah, um, that group, it, it works. And wasn't he like a cap casualty with Demario Davis from New York? Isn't that what yeah, I, I'm pretty sure. I think he was one of those veteran cap casualties that came in New Orleans. I don't think even was guaranteed to start. I think Mante Teo played more than enough, more than well enough to earn the starting nod outright. But I think Demario Davis came into camp and earned that job. And he's playing very, very well, leading a unit, specifically in run defense, that really struggled last year. And I mean, PFF has their um, better pass rushers who are rookies this year. And I think Bradley Chubb is number one right now in pressures um, for rookies. But Davenport, he is in that top six. So he's coming on. And I think a lot of people laughed when the Saints traded up for him, gave up a first round pick. But um, when you have Cameron Jordan on one side, Sheldon Rankin's wrecking havoc in the middle. And, you know, if Davenport can become a pretty solid uh defensive end on the other side i think it uh it's gonna pay off i think davenport might be okay i think we need to pump the brakes on the davenport um the davenport not hype but just like oh what what a dumb thing that uh, mickey loomis and sean payton and uh, jeff ireland pulled there by trading up for a project from university of texas san antonio i think he's fine the, the only problem with doing that is that he's still an if he's still if yeah. he turns out if he gets better if he produces more and the, for as long as it's an if Giving up two first-round picks is going to look bad. Until it becomes a yes, he is that good, it's, it's, just, it's just going to be a highly scrutinized decision. I mean, you can look at all other, you know, other decisions that take time to develop. Khalil Mack going to Chicago, that only took, what, the first half of the first game? It takes some time. Yeah. They're just, <laughs> I trust the Saints group. I trust their development. Like, Marcus Lattimore obviously is falling apart, but, like, they had the offensive and defensive rookie of the year last year. Like they, they just, I think they know what they're doing when they're scouting. I think they know how to draft. I think they're, they, Michael Thomas, I mean, Alvin Kamara, Mark Ingram, like Ryan Ramzik. Um, there's just up and down the list. Like they draft well. I think they, I trust the saints. You're not going to believe this, but I trust the best team in the NFL to make the right decision. <laughs> you have to trust the process. And for a team with a track record, like Alvin Kamara, Marshawn Lattimore, Ryan Ramchick, it's easy to kind of say, all right, maybe he is going to pan out. But you look at this team now and you think maybe they don't trade up. Maybe they take Jair Alexander instead. You start to think, yeah. okay, that makes a lot of sense, actually, and they have that extra first-round pick down the road. Or maybe they take Josh Jackson in the second. I mean, that's, those are two Green Bay Packers picks, another organization known for drafting well. I think they have had some misses, but who doesn't? But the secondary, maybe they overlooked it. You know, Maybe reaching on a guy that you know, I think everyone in the NFL and scouts and you know, blogging scouts, Twitter scouts, knew that Marcus Davenport wasn't a year one contributor. You know, coming from UTSA, it's hard to imagine him projecting into that year one outstanding edge rusher and that someone that they could develop. But maybe Joe Alexander, because he could be a year one contributor, made more sense. But again, that's just speculating at this point. If Marcus Davenport turns out to be outstanding next year, it's all going to go under the bridge. For now, 
John Alexander kind of looks like the better pick. And I think it's hindsight's obviously 2020, but it's something to look at. However, counterpoint, whenever you have, you have the opportunity to win the Super Bowl with an absolute dumpster fired uh, defensive backfield, you do it every single time. <laughs> I like that counterpoint. In today's I'll NFL, winning a Super Bowl with just what they have back there, nothing more impressive. It just adds to Sean Payton's legacy. And more importantly, Dennis Allen's legacy as defensive coordinator. Let the legend live on. Uh, Dennis Allen, man. I can't believe he's still around. I mean, he has managed to stick around in New Orleans through a lot of, you know, a lot of bad talent. Look at last year, there's not a lot of good talent outside of Marshawn Lattimore, maybe Mark, you know, Marcus Williams. But now I think he's starting to get the pieces. The talent development's there. You know, Kellen Rankins, he's got good linebackers. It's, it's interesting to see what he can do when he doesn't, you know, have an underperforming Howley Kaha out there and, you know, worse quarterbacks than they do, he does have now. I think Dennis Allen's kind of benefiting from good drafting from the Saints. Last thing, and then we'll go. All right, the Jets, I think it's safe to say after getting blown out by Matt Barkley and the Bills are going to go in a different direction this offseason, I, I would think. Uh, Todd <laughs> I, Bowles, the Todd I, Bowles era. I, I'm yeah. surprised he's still around. Well, you know, I'm not a big proponent of the interim coach. Although Greg Williams and uh, Mr. Kitchens just uh, blew up the Falcons at home and had a 92-yard touchdown run, and Baker Mayfield almost had a perfect passer rating on the day, and you know maybe sometimes it works, but I generally speaking do not, I, I would not recommend that mid-season coaching change because if that interim catches fire um, and wins too many games, then you're like, oh, maybe we should keep him, and then you waste two more years of development because you trusted the interim guy, and then that just turned into a dumpster fire, and yeah. I'm not a big fan of it. So I'm okay with them writing this out to the end. Um, But who do you have in your mind? Are you already thinking about who the right guy to work with Sam Darnold um, for the next 10 years is? Who is it? Yeah, there's a few options. In terms of a guy who's right in the league right now, John DeFlippo makes a lot of sense. He's a guy that is often regarded as a QB guru. He helped, you know, he fixed Derek Carr. He he helps out Carson Wentz. Now he's in Minnesota with Kirk Cousins. He's a guy that a lot of people love for his ability to improve quarterback play. And I think when you have a young quarterback, Flippo can be kind of be, kind of be the QB whisperer, and he makes a ton of sense if he does like Sam Darnold's tools. I think that match has to be in his favor. He has to want that to happen. And I think if John Flippo likes Sam Darnold, it makes a, a lot of sense. Guys not currently in the league, if Bruce Arians wants to leave the booth, I'm not opposed to that at all. I think Bruce He's Arians, on my list. Bruce yeah. Arians going to New York makes a lot of sense. He's a great personality. I think he's a guy that could be itching to get back on the sideline after watching in the booth, you know, this year. And then you go know, to the college level, you know, two, you know, the big names there, Lincoln Riley. I think Lincoln Riley, it, it makes a lot of sense just because he's, I mean, if he is itching to get to the NFL level, I think he is one of the higher up guys that could go up and, and, and do some damage. I think those are the three names that really come to mind in terms of like splash hires. Of course, there's an off chance that they bring in a defensive coordinator or someone that a defensive mind, a great guy, football guy. Right? What'd you say? Going with another defensive minded guy, like with Sam Darnold, the most important quarterback that they've had to develop in decades. They wouldn't make sense. Again? I'll tell you right now, it wouldn't make sense, but I, you can't put anything past the Jets right now. All right, Mr. Johnson, not Woody, the other one, the seemingly better uh, brother of the two who's running things. Um, do not hire a defensive-minded guy with Sam Darnold. I want him to be good. Don't do it. Don't do it. Do not hire Mike Smith. Do not hire um, who is Gus Bradley. Don't give him an up- another opportunity just because he's having success with this Los Angeles Chargers defense. Don't do it. 
I honestly have to concur. I mean, you can't, it, it just doesn't, you know, like I said, the guy I let off with, you know, a quarterback whisperer, a guy that, you know, loves the quarterback position, owns the quarterback position, that can go in there and build his offense around Sam Darnold, build his priorities, you know, list his priorities as Sam Darnold number one, Sam Darnold number two, and everything else after that. I think that is what really needs to happen in New York, because if you can fix that quarterback position, if you can make him good, that is what's going to take you to the next level, not getting a better defense and putting the pieces together that way. It starts with Darnold and it really ends with Darnold. I have Arians top of my list. And then number two, my wild card college guy, Ryan Day. He was an offensive, he was the quarterback coach in Philadelphia with Chip Kelly. He was the quarterback coach, I believe, in San Francisco when he went there. He has NFL experience. He's a Chip Kelly disciple. He's had great success at the college level. I I really like him. And I think they, I would be tempted to go outside the box here of a guy who, like just seeing what he did with Dwayne Haskins in those first three games and especially what he did against TCU. I think Ryan Day, if he stays at Ohio State and he's the guy who replaces Urban um, after the year, I, I just think we're getting ready for like a Ryan Day renaissance in college football where he's going to have this Lincoln Riley bump like after Bob Stoops left where like he gets promoted to the top dog and we're going to be talking about Ryan Day as we were talking about Lincoln Riley this year. Um, also, if any of Lincoln Riley's advisors advise him to take uh, the New York Jets job, uh, he has bad people in his life. And he needs to get rid of those people because uh, Lincoln Riley should not take the New York Jets job. That is, even with Sam Donald, he's out of his mind if he takes that job. Lincoln Riley, if the Cleveland job. No, I understand Baker. Do not work for Jimmy Haslam right now. Like, why? Why would you sign up for that? You have no idea who's going to be in power in a couple years. And listen to Hugh Jackson talk about the chain of command there with that group and John Dorsey and everything else. Like, that weird power structure. No, stay away, Lincoln Riley. I love Baker, too. But stay away. If I'm Lincoln Riley, it's Dallas. It's like Dallas, Dallas. That's it. Like that might be it for if I'm Lincoln Riley. Like that's just one of those where you could just see that really, that could be awesome. Maybe you could talk yourself into Miami if you're Lincoln Riley. Maybe. Oh my gosh. Lincoln Riley. I, I mean, I'm not going to Dallas if I'm Lincoln Riley. If Jerry Jones, I walk in meeting room, Jerry Jones is, we're happy to have you. We'll keep it back. I'm out. I'm turning around. I'm not doing it. If he is invested yeah. in Dak, I am turning around as Lincoln Riley. I'd rather go to Cleveland with the bad management because I know I got a QB. You go to Miami, that's even worse than a drum to the fire. You know, Tannehill's off injured, and even when he's been healthy, he's not been a top half QB in the NFL. As a college, there's a lot of pieces I like. I really like the pieces in Miami. I still, I can't quit them. I think they're a playoff team this year. They're still going to be in the playoffs. Oh my gosh, really? Okay. I mean, I don't think they're a deep playoff team. I think if they could sneak in, no, definitely not. But they're another team that got ravaged by injuries. I like seeing what you're talking. If Ryan Tannehill is under center, like those first three games, if you look at what he was doing early on this season, a healthy Ryan Tannehill is still good enough to take a team to the playoffs. Uh. I, I believe that. In a, in a limited ASC, I'm not saying Ryan Tannehill is Tom Brady. I am saying Ryan Tannehill is the best Miami Dolphins quarterback in like 15 years. But that's not saying much, obviously. But yeah. I like a lot of their pieces. I like Albert Wilson a lot. I like Kenyon Drake. I wish Frank Gore would have retired so we could have gotten more Kenyon Drake this year um I still like their offensive line I like uh Minka Fitzpatrick a lot I think he's going to be an all pro for years to come um I I still just like a lot of the pieces on this team I don't think that they're like if they get a good quarterback or they draft somebody in the next two years and Lincoln Riley gets in I, I that's a really scary team I, I don't know I like a lot of the pieces and I think Lincoln Riley would have a lot of fun with Drake Wilson Grant um Devontae Parker's probably gone at this point but um who's the other so. guy who I'm forgetting not Sneed. Who was the other guy? Who was uh, Stills? Oh, 
Yeah, I, I think that what's scary about the Miami Dolphins in 2018 is so much has to go right for them to even have a chance to go to the playoffs. I think you need Ryan Tannehill to get back to be healthy, and he needs to be good. I think Frank Gore needs to continue this uh, insane run that he's been able to do. The offensive line that has been, in previous years, not so great, needs to continue to play at an above-average level, above-expectation level. Juwan James has somehow found a way to be palpable this year, but he's a couple you know, a couple games away from having another bad year. And you look at the defensive side of the ball, I love Baker Fitzpatrick as much as anyone. I think he's an outstanding player. I do think he's that all pro to come. But outside of that, the pass rush hasn't been there as much as it used to be in previous years. Pico Alonso is up and down. Xavier Howard, who can have a superstar game, could also have a terrible game and give up a bunch of catches. There's so many pieces that, you know, you get an injury here. You, you, someone has, you know, starts to play more towards what you're expecting. Go that regression line. And this team starts to fall back towards that 9-7, 8-8. Eight eight. However, I think a lot is going right for them right now. And if Tannehill comes back They're and is healthy and plays well, they could go to the playoffs. <laughs> Austin, book it. If you look at the AFC right now, it's the Chargers and the Dolphins. That's the playoff teams. Like, the Ravens are imploding. You're out uh, on the Bengals. Uh, I, I, I don't think I'm out. I think they win the division. I think they're the only team that win the division. You know, I think the Texans are due for a serious regression. Like, I, at some point, they have to fall back down to earth, right? I think so, but also I think the Colts are playing well in that division. There's, there's, they there's, are. I, I like the Colts a lot. And yeah. Andrew Luck is but finding I think they only his stride in the last division. few weeks. Andrew Luck has played very, very well, and he's able to destroy, you know, destroy opposing defenses. He's picking people apart. And if he plays like that, regardless of how bad their defense is, I think they can really go somewhere. The Dolphins' schedule. At Indy this week, or in two weeks, they have at Indy, so they're on bye this week. So Ryan Tannehill probably going to be back after the bye. Um, Bills at home, Pats at home, at Minnesota, Jaguars at home, at Buffalo. I only see one guaranteed loss in their next six. Miami, if Miami loses to Luck and the Colts, I think that decides it. I think if the Colts can swing that win, I think the Colts are going to be able to pull out either the wild card spot or win the division and push Tennessee into that spot. I think that game is a huge one to mark on your calendar in terms of the Miami Dolphins are going to live up to the playoff hopes. They have They're to be five the and five right now, man. They're four and one at home. A lot of home games on the, on the deck right now for them. They're five and five. The Dolphins are making the playoffs. I'm just, <laughs> I'm booking it, lock it up. It's happening. You need to brace yourself. Like they're going to get blown out by like, I don't even know. They might actually get the Pats um, in their playoff game. It'd be either um, New England or uh, who is uh, NFC? I guess it would be the NFC, uh, the AFC South winner potentially. So maybe they could swing that one, but no. I, I just I would go ahead and pencil in the Dolphins as the other wild card team. I would just I would do it. Interesting. We'll have to see. I think that again that Colts game is going to be a big indicator. I think if they can go off the bye and beat Andrew Luck and the Colts, I think that's going to be a team that can make you know claim that wild card spot as their own. They lose to Andrew Luck drop one in minnesota this team isn't making it yeah um last thing and then we'll go um i didn't finish my list my wild card for the jets we got sidetracked and that's on me i'm the podcast host and i let it happen i let us go into dolphins <laughs> land where everybody wants to go all the time just talk about ryan Tannehill and the dolphins um gary kubiak has a history with their gm who came from houston gary kubiak back working in personnel if he can get cleared that's the wild card i mean he left for health reasons still pretty young Super Bowl winning coach, I think he'd be fun. I, I think that would be one fun? of my like. Fun I'm, is the adjective I'd use. It's the least sexy pick you've listed. I'd rather go Arian. But Arian's from the booth. 
get Lin- or yeah. pull up Lincoln Riley. I know you don't you, know, you don't want him to take that job. I think, no, but I, think I will not Kubiak, sign off on that. Lincoln, no. I, I think Kubiak, given the state of the franchise, actually, you know, the more I start to think about it, it, makes sense. It's not sexy. It's not Lincoln Riley. It's not a Bruce Arians. But given that they're still in that, I, I'm willing to say they're still in limbo with the quarterback position. They're not sure if Tannehill is the guy you can you want to dump everything into. You're not, you're not sure if he's the guy that can carry a team in the playoffs or just be a part no, 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 of the no, playoffs. No, no, for the team. Dolphins, for the Jets. Oh, no. Oh, sorry. Sorry. For the Jets. For the Jets. I think yeah, Gary Kubiak going to the Jets, I apologize, going to the Jets, Still isn't a sexy pick, but I think if he if he likes Sam Darnold, it makes a lot of sense. I think you have to. It all comes down to Sam Darnold. Who wants to prop up this team with you know with Sam Darnold? Yeah, my last two wild cards: Lane Kiffin. Let's get him back in the NFL. Yeah, I know he'd be good for Sam Darnold. That'd be fun. That's the sexiest pick you said. There you go. Um, then this is the least sexy: Pete Carmichael, who somehow has not gotten a head coaching chance yet. He's been in New Orleans under Sean Payton for like 10 years. Why not? You know they're going to have a good offense. I would get hand the keys to Pete Carmichael in New York. I like it. Why not? It's not sexy, but <laughs> is anyone going to get upset about hiring a Saints offensive mind at this point with Sam Darnold? I don't think so. Yeah, I mean, it's hard. You know, it's easy to, from the outside looking in, to kind of have those offensive coaches that are part of a great system be tagged along. With being, you know, but when you look at him being with Sean Payton for as long as he's been, that shows you how much you know Peyton has trust in him, and it's not like he's been there for two or three years. The guy's been there through it all, and I think he would be a guy that's just waiting for an opportunity. Yeah, my final pick though is Ryan Day. I think he's gonna be really good. He almost got that Titans offensive coordinator job before I went to the floor. Variable wanted him. I think he's gonna be really good at Ohio State and win at least a couple national titles. I think he's going to be really good. Ryan Day is just the sleeping head coaching giant in college football. It was Lincoln Riley first, and then I think it's Ryan Day next. That's what I'll say. You heard it here first. You heard it here first. Also, Dolphins going into the playoffs. You also heard that here first. Well, I don't know. The Saints are committed in that direction. (laughs) I will get you there. That we have several more weeks to go, and we'll be checking in as the season goes on, and um, you'll get. uh, you'll you'll see that uh, this is definitely happening, and uh, this crazy unfortunate pick of watching Brock Geisweiler um, be under center for another playoff game is uh, very <laughs> oh, much no. in the cards. That's, it's happening. That so pretty just get ready. Yeah, uh, I'm sorry, but that's where we're going. Austin, this is always a pleasure. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time. We can find you on Twitter at pff underscore Austin Gale. We can read you at profootballfocus.com that I check out every day. And if you're not already a subscriber to Edge or Elite, I encourage you to do so because PFF is great and their stats are great and it's necessary for every pro football fan, college football fan too, because there's a lot of college stuff as well. So there's really no reason for you to not check out Pro Football Focus every day. Absolutely, I do it too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're kind of required, but yeah, that's, that's not true. a hero. That's true. <laughs> Austin, I really appreciate it. And uh, same time next week. Yeah, sounds great. All right, man. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.